a Podcast One production. Welcome to Pollen, where Associate Professor Ed Newbegin, along with a range of experts, help you understand what pollen actually is, what may be causing your symptoms, how best to manage your conditions, and the environmental factors that drive pollen levels and other airborne pollutants. In November 2016, Victoria was hit with an anomaly known as thunderstorm asthma. This affected 14,000 people and unfortunately killed 10. This shocked the medical world and sparked research into how this phenomenon can occur. I'm here with Ed Newbegin, and to help explain this phenomenon, we're joined by Dr. Danny Sutoris, a GP and medical advisor at the Victorian Department of Health and Human Services. Danny, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm one of the senior medical advisors working in the health protection branch at the Department of Health and Human Services. I'm also spend one day a week working in general practice. So I have, I've actually seen both sides of this uh, phenomena, epidemic thunderstorm asthma. Yeah. So thunderstorm asthma sounds quite scary, really. How does it differ to regular asthma? So thunderstorm asthma is generally recorded by doctors, or in the past it's been recorded by doctors, that, and most often they've been in emergency departments. And it's defined as being a, a period of acute asp- uh, respiratory allergies, so people experiencing respiratory allergies presenting to uh, the health system, generally an emergency department, all in the very short time, and quite often it's after the passage of a thunderstorm. So the typical event would be a thunderstorm sweeps over a city, so you need a lot of people to uh, have one of these events, and then suddenly the emergency departments, and it might be just a couple of emergency departments at hospitals, or it might be a whole bunch of them, start receiving uh, a big lot of people. And the medicos in the emergency department have to cope with that extra load. And then if they're thoughtful enough, they write it up as a little paper which gets put into a journal and that's a record. But up until recently, that was how it's uh, identified. So there were these doctors out there who would say, gee, that was a really bad thing that just happened last night. We'd better write something about it. And that's how we've known about these events. So they occur around the world. So it's not just a Victorian phenomenon. It occurs around the world. So have been records in England and in the Middle East and other parts of Australia as well. So there have been events in Wagga Wagga, uh, but a lot of them have been occurring in Melbourne. And th- most of the events that we know about occur in November, which is right bang in the middle of the grass pollen season. Yeah, I sort of look at it in a slightly different way. So as a clinician, we see asthma. Asthma is a very common condition. About one in 10 adults may um, have asthma. Um, more common in children. And there are lots of triggers for asthma. So post-viral asthma, exercise-induced asthma. There's a bunch of irritants that can trigger asthma, like cigarette smoke. And certainly there's allergy-induced asthma. And on an individual basis, um, people will come in and see their doctors with their asthma. But if we step back, we can see that asthma becomes more frequent at different times of the year. Classically, during winter, there's more the most asthma, and that's usually related to viral infections. We also see a peak of asthma just as school school kids return to school. And the third peak that we see is in springtime, certainly in Victoria. 
Now, there are two pictures of the patterns of asthma that we can see, but there's, there's also another one which we've just appreciated, and these are these enormous spikes of asthma presentations that happen uncommonly, but that do happen. And we had the biggest one ever in the world in November 2016. And if I've got it right, it's a particular type of grass, ryegrass, and the ryegrass allergen has been shown in those people who... Um, who suffer from thunderstorm asthma, they really have quite a reaction to ryegrass. So it's not just all pollens. No, it's not all pollens. It's really a a feature of the grass pollen season. So in Melbourne, we see that a big peak of all of the events of thunderstorm asthma which occur in Melbourne have been observed in that November period and maybe a week either side. So that's really the peak of the grass pollen season. So in Melbourne... That's the thing which triggers our thunderstorm asthma. In other parts of the world, it can be other things, but it needs to be a dominant source of allergen, a big source of allergen. And in Victoria, we've got Western Victoria, which is set out with lots of pasture land for cattle grazing and sheep grazing. And it's that grass pollen moving into Melbourne, which is the the thing which precipitates these events. And then we've got the weather. Uh, and as it is weather-related, we have the Head of Weather and Environmental Prediction at the Bureau of Meteorology, Beth Ebert. Welcome, Beth. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself here? Thanks, Matt. Um, I'm a researcher at the Bureau of Meteorology. I've been there about 30 years. And the group that I lead is very focused on applications of meteorology and working on making a better weather forecast or forecast of environmental conditions. So the event in 2016 was the most catastrophic out of all recorded Mm -hmm. uh, thunderstorm asthmas. Why was that so bad? Certainly there was significant weather around on that day. So if if we go back to what was leading up to that event, it had been a, a wetter than average spring, much wetter than average. And so the grass was growing very lushly. There was liable to be lots of pollen in the air. In the days leading up to that event, um, there had been some rain a couple of days before, but the, the couple of days leading up were, were dry. There was seemingly nothing much to worry about, but um, as we got closer, the wind was really coming from the northwest, west-northwest into Melbourne, and so it was flowing right over those pasture regions, and we believe it was picking up some of that pollen in the air and transporting it. Then in the late afternoon, early evening, of the 21st of November, a cool change started to move through, and it was associated with some uh, strong thunderstorms. And and they were aligned uh, in what we call a squall line, so a sort of a long line of thunderstorms all marching like a push broom across the landscape. And associated with those storms were uh, strong gusty winds and a, a downdraft and an outflow. If you sort of think of cold uh, air pooling at the surface. You can think of it a bit like uh, water being dropped on a table and spreading out mm. in a pool. This is what the air was doing. And so that front, which we call a gust front in meteorology, was associated with those gusty winds. And we believe that that was somehow concentrating the pollen in such a way that um, people who were exposed to that had those very high concentrations. Another part of the thunderstorm asthma mechanism, we believe, but we don't understand it very well, is that something needs to cause the pollen to rupture into very small particles that can go deeply into your lungs. So normal pollen grains would get trapped by your nose and and maybe top of your throat, but the allergenic 
broken up grains can go right into your lungs. And then if you're um, allergic, you mm-hmm. can then have the severe reaction. Anyway, back to the event. Very shortly after the passage of this gust front that was ahead of the, the thunderstorm line, people started to fall ill. It was maybe 20, 30 minutes, and people were starting to feel very, very unwell. In fact, if you look at um, some maps that have been put together by AV and the, and the Bureau, and the storm comes and starts to pass over Geelong and Melbourne at about five, about a, uh, soon after that, certainly by six, uh, ambulance calls are starting to light up across, mm. across Melbourne. And um, over the next 30 hours, we had just under 3,500 people attend an emergency department. It's 3,500. It ended up in a in just under 500 people admitted with asthma and more than 30 people admitted to intensive care with asthma. Unfortunately, the coroner found that 10 people died as, as a result of this event. So sudden surge of unwell people across all of Melbourne. Um, so resources were spread very thin and there was a huge demand. And these are people who were short of breath. Mm. So there's not much time to wait. Um, no. It's not like you've got a headache or a broken leg. You know, these people need to be seen and seen quickly. And so the system was challenged. But I must admit the descriptions that we've heard from all the emergency departments is um, a great sort of civility mm. amongst everyone who was waiting. Um, so no one was particularly panicking. Everyone was... Um, Everyone worked together and the emergency departments really rose to the occasion and ad- adapted really well to the huge increase in numbers. So trying to learn how to forecast this with more accuracy, was this this event in particular, did it kind of come out of nowhere? Yeah, I think so. It um, surprised all of us. In fact, I don't think we could say there was a, a forecast system in place in, in the same okay. way that we have now that the bomb and uh, the pollen counters have put together uh, with the department. Yeah, so what's been done since 2016? So the state of Victoria really uh, rose to the occasion and said we can't let this happen again. And so they've invested um, in a three-year pilot early warning program that's operated by the Bureau of Meteorology in collaboration with the DHHS and the University of Melbourne and some other university partners as well to provide early warnings up to a couple of days in advance for the health department and then it's their role to to take these forecasts of thunderstorm asthma risk and notify the health sector. So the the information that actually goes into these forecasts are two things. One is information about the weather. We're looking in particular for those gusty winds, for gust fronts associated with thunderstorms and that kind of weather that is is similar to the kind of thing that occurred on, on the November 2016 case. That's one aspect. The other part is the pollen concentration in the air. And so In order to make a forecast of thunderstorm asthma risk, which is a combination of weather and pollen, we also needed to learn how to forecast the pollen. Mm. I think you heard from Jeremy Silver in Mm. one of the earlier podcasts about some of the gains that we've made in our ability to predict pollen. So those two things have, have now been put together on a service that operates during the months of October to December, so pollen season in the Bureau of Meteorology, where our duty meteorologists will have a look at the weather, they'll have a look at the pollen forecasts, have a think about how things might evolve in the next couple of days, and and 
and on the day in question as well. And they'll put together actually for all of the weather forecasting districts in Victoria an assessed risk of thunderstorm asthma, low, moderate, or high. Hmm. Now, is this available on the pollen app? Because I know you forecast grass pollen hmm. on the app. Yeah. So, as Beth said, the, the duty forecaster for severe weather does that forecasting about 12.30 every day or 11.30 or 12 o'clock every day and then passes that information. So, we make a forecast of thunderstorm asthma and then they pass that information over to Danny and his team and they're the ones that push the, the red button. Danny, tell us a little bit about what happens or what could happen if thunderstorm asthma is forecast. So the, so the forecast system is is linked together so we don't press a button as such and mm-hmm. the forecast comes in and then um, is hosted on Ed's Melbourne well, Pollen hmm. site. It goes on the health.vic website. It also goes on the Vic Emergency website. If there is a concern of a high-risk forecast then a whole range of um, activities are undertaken. The forecast is distributed widely, so everyone in the health sector, from emergency department, directors, primary care people, so GPs, practice nurses, everyone can see this forecast and can plan accordingly. So if you know tomorrow's a high-risk day, um, then you can make whatever adjustments are required. We will increase communication to the community about the risk. And certainly, I think one of the big messages is in grass pollen season, so October through December, particularly in November, if there is a thunderstorm or a severe storm, then it's really important to avoid it. Stay out of it, particularly the wind gusts that come before it, because that's where the concentrated pollen grains and the really small allergenic particles that you can inhale, that's where they are. And if you can stay out of that, then you won't be exposed to this allergen and it shouldn't trigger your asthma. You should be carrying your Ventolin puffer if you're at increased risk. So if you've got asthma or if you've got hay fever, you should know where you can get uh, your hand on a puffer in case you need it. Um, You should review your asthma action plan if you do have asthma. So you know if your asthma gets worse, what you need to do. For those people who have hay fever only, our seasonal hay fever, then that group of people are at increased risk of getting uh, their first episode of asthma during a thunderstorm asthma event. And it's important for those people to avoid exposure, so stay out of the storms, um, but also to know the symptoms of asthma. So if they do get those symptoms, they know what it is and they know what to do. Mm -hmm. And we do suggest that if you've got uh, seasonal hay fever, to speak to your doctor or your chemist about whether you should carry a Ventolin puffer or uh, an asthma reliever puffer in case uh, you do need it, or at least know how to get your hands on one. Mm. And that comes together with the big message that is really about learning asthma first aid. And asthma first aid, four simple steps, recognising what asthma is and then being able to treat it even if you've never actually treated someone with asthma before. Also, speak to your doctor about thunderstorm asthma in particular because a small number of asthmatics won't be on preventative medication. And it may well be that during springtime, it would be a useful thing to have. So if if you've got very mild asthma and you're only using a reliever, but you do get hay fever, then it might be a a useful discussion to have with your doctor about using a preventer um, during grass pollen season. Is thunderstorm asthma just something which happens in Melbourne? 
what's special about Melbourne that we have these events. So, so I want to talk about uh, what happens in regional Victoria. Yeah, um, we've looked at emergency department presentations for asthma across different regional centres and we've found that there are these spikes of asthma on particular days um, across most of Victoria. Gippsland and the east seems to be a bit spared and certainly moving up north, Wodonga, Albury, um, that that um, sort of area leading towards uh, Canberra and Wagga where thunderstorm asthma has also been as described. Yeah, so it's not just Melbourne. It's uh, lots of other places as well that experience thunderstorm asthma across Victoria. So I think on the November 21st of 2016, there were events in Ballarat as well. What sort of response has happened since 2016 from the Department of Health? So a whole range of um, community education, uh, a whole community awareness and uh, education program has been developed and rolled out over the past few years. And that's also included health providers, GPs, practice nurses, school nurses, pharmacists, emergency department directors. Um, on top of that, the, the health system has modified itself so that it's able to respond more quickly to these events because this this event has never happened be- before and never even planned that something like this could happen. I might just comment on how difficult it is to predict this because it's such a rare phenomenon. Even in the we're in the third year of this pilot program now to try and make early warnings, but it makes it quite difficult to learn more about how it happens when it is such a rare event. And so I'd like to um, point to the importance of the continued research in this area to try and better pin down the mechanism because there's there's theories around how pollen may break up due to humidity or perhaps due to lightning or perhaps due to mechanical breakup of pollen grains banging against themselves and other things, but we don't really know. So having the extra pollen monitoring that's been put in place, having a number of scientists, having a good hard look at the problem, we're making some headway, but we're still a long way from understanding this. And so um, when we know how tragic it can be on very rare occasions, I think it's important that we keep working on it. If you want to find out more information, visit melbournepollen.com.au. There you'll find more resources to help you stay on top of your allergies. And don't forget, if you haven't already, download the Melbourne Pollen app. You can find the nearest pollen site, track everything, create a profile and really help build preventative measures for allergic reactions to grass pollen. Pollen was presented and produced by me, Matt Dwyer, audio production by Darcy Thompson and the executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Special thanks to Associate Professor Ed Newbegin and the team at Melbourne Pollen Counting.